Hey everyone, it's Vic from the True Crew. I'm doing a quick introduction here uh, for an amazing day we had at the West Sacramento Intergalactic Expo. It's our second time going there. Um, We had some crazy things happen to us. Um, We got asked to do our first panel. Um, It happened to be a Star Wars panel, so kudos or bonus there. Um, And we got the gig the night before, so we actually had to scramble uh, really quickly to to get everything done and to have a a good first panel. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Uh, You guys will be able to get to listen to it. Um, we had on the panel C. Andrew Nelson, Mark Dotson, and Frank Ardaz, three major contributors to the Star Wars universe. Um, we're so thankful that Andrew and Frank spoke to us uh, later on. Um, we got two separate podcasts with them following up this one. Uh, we could not get Mark uh, Dotson in there. Uh, we just did not have enough time Um but I will say Mark tells one of the best stories uh, about coming full circle uh, with his with his experience with Star Wars. So <clears throat> before we get the, the Star Wars panel started uh, in this first episode, uh, I'd like to give a shout out to West Coast Wawa. Hashtag West Coast Wawa. Um, you guys are probably getting tired of this, but we're not. Um, you know, like BJ said, he's had Wawa before. I practically lived on Wawa before I came out here. Um, I'm sure if Wawa was around, Mark, Andrew, and Frank probably would have, would have had some Wawa instead of Subway. Nothing against Subway, but you eat Wawa uh, where I'm from. So hashtag West Coast Wawa. And uh, once again, we had a great time at the uh, West Sacramento Intergalactic Expo. Uh, we hope you enjoy the panel. Later on, we have, again, we have uh, C. Andrew Nelson and Frank Ordaz. And we also have Cody Stark uh, making his uh, anniversary episode with us. Also, um, we had some audio issues um, in a couple of the episodes just because we were uh, out in public um, and there was uh, donations going on and, and a lot of ruckus going on. So we apologize for some of the audio quality, but, uh, but I'm pretty sure that you can get the gist of what's going on. Um, but Hey, like I, like I say in the podcast, it's production value. Um, so you know that we're just not sitting in a room. Um, we're actually at an, uh, at an event. So we hope you guys enjoy and, uh, hopefully we'll be doing this next year again. guys. Well, again, welcome uh, everyone to the West Sacramento Intergalactic Expo. Uh, we are Chew On This, a Nerd United podcast. I'm BJ, that's Vic, and today we have three very special guests. We have Mr. Frank Ordaz. We also have, uh, are they coming up? 
Oh, okay. See Andrew Nelson. And Mr. Mark Dodson. I know. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Council is in session. I get to be full. (laughs) (laughs) The honorable judges are here. Um, This is very cool. This is a very big treat for me because, uh, like I said, I I was four years old when I saw this movie. So um, in a theater, and uh, so this is incredibly special to me for a lot of reasons. But uh, uh, Vic here, he was a little late to the game. He watched Star Wars like way later on. So. that's his fault. Well, like but, uh, <laughs> but, but not only was Star Wars like really special to me in, in you know in a big way, but also <laughs> this is how like Vic and I joined together as friends, and this is also why we started the podcast was all about Star Wars. Um, so anyway, we have uh, our first guest is uh, first and foremost an artist. Uh, he is well known for his matte painting work on Return of the Jedi. Uh, you have also seen his work on, <laughs> I mean, the films are nu- you know numerous, but Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, E.T., uh, Goonies, just to name a few. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Frank Ordez. <clears throat> All right. Our second guest uh, has worked in three different types of genres under Star Wars. So he's worked in the gaming industry with uh, LucasArts. I remember back in the day I used to play LucasArts like, games like all the time. Um, <clears throat> so he did visual effects for games like Dark Forces, Shadows of the Empire, one of my absolute favorites, N64, love it. Uh, secondly, he has played Darth Vader more than any other actor. That's true. That's true right there. Um, and lastly, he did visual effects for movies. Again, I mean, the list is, is numerous, but The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones... Uh, plus other blockbusters such as Jurassic Park 3 and one of my personal favorites, uh, Galaxy Quest. So by Graptar's Hammer, uh, please welcome C. Andrew Nelson. So this, uh, lastly but not least, uh, this guy, you've heard his voice like all over the place. Uh, commercials, uh, video games, uh, tons of movies. I think he's best known though as uh, Jabba's little buddy, Salacious Crumb, we have Mark Dodson. All right, so we'll start the panel with a question for all three of you guys, and feel free to jump in, whoever wants to go first. Uh, so a little bit of background is, is, how did you guys individually get your Star Wars jobs? Well, I can tell you how I got mine. They called me. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was broke. I had spent all my money on a job that I had done as an illustrator. And then literally one day, I get a call. Can you hear him? Yep, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I can hear you. I get, I get a call, and it's Mike Pingrazio from Industrial Light and Magic. And he, just, and he says, I got your name from your school. They say you're one of the top students. Would you like a job working for George Lucas? I and I'm like, okay, which, which of my friends is pranking me? <laughs> you know, because it sounds pretty official. And he goes, all you've got to do is do a small sketch for us. And if we like it, we'll fly you up there. 
And uh, fast, uh, fast forward, I, I got the job. My first assignment was doing the opening of the ET, and I had never done a painting larger than 24 by, like, let's say, 30. And this painting was like 10 by 10. And when I talked to Dennis Murin, who's got nine Oscars, he said, Frank, it better be good. Because <laughs> the next day, which was Saturday, he said, Steven Spielberg's going to see it. And it's the opening, so uh, good luck. So I went from feeling really happy to really nervous, just like that. But it was a dream job. They, they called me, and I'm sure these men had amazing experiences as well. Well, I, I didn't get called. I had to apply. Uh, um, I actually answered an ad in a newspaper. Uh, back before Craigslist, back before all that, you went and got a job uh, by finding a job in the newspaper. And... Uh, I had, uh, I had started acting when I was 10 years old, started off in theater and then went in film and television, but I always wanted to work in visual effects and animation as well. And I tried very hard to, to get a job, applied a lot of different places, got a lovely stack of rejection letters, uh, but eventually I found an ad for, uh, they weren't even called LucasArts at the time, they were called Lucasfilm Games. And they were looking for a customer support representative you know, so if you bought the game and you couldn't get it to work on your computer and you were angry about it and you found that phone number to call, I was the poor guy that answered the phone. <laughs> I probably called uh, you. I probably oh. called you. I probably was like, hey, I, I'm stuck in this one part. And you're like, no, that's not what we do. <laughs> uh, we'll send you out a bug fix. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I started off at the, uh, in the uh, customer support department. I did that for about a year, submitted my portfolio to the art director, um, and uh, got hired at the very bottom of the ladder in the art department at LucasArts, a position called art technician. So I wasn't even really creating art. I was just putting it into a form that programmers could use. Um, but then I worked my way up. Uh, the first game that I worked on was a game called Mortimer and the Riddles of the Medallion. If you've never heard of it, I won't be, I won't be hurt. Nobody's heard of it. Great game, <laughs> but nobody's heard of it. Uh, but by the time when I started on it, I was... Uh, uh, a uh, art technician. By the time the game shipped, I was lead effects animator, and then I became a visual effects supervisor and senior artist. Uh, then I moved, I did that f at LucasArts for about six years, then moved over to Industrial Light and Magic to work uh, uh, in the matte painting department, uh, working for Dennis Murin, just like you, but uh, he was a little kinder to me, I think, <laughs> with, my, with my first yeah. shot. Um, and so I was working in matte paintings for Phantom Menace, and then uh, compositing and rotoscoping and texture art for uh, Attack of the Clones. But one day when I was in, uh, my, uh, sitting at my desk at LucasArts uh, in 1994, I got a call from the head of public relations who didn't even bother to say hello. She just says, hey, Andrew, how tall are you? <laughs> I, I'm six foot five. Why do you ask? Well, she was five foot one, so I figured she just wanted something down off a shelf. Um, <laughs> she was upstairs for me. And then I, I, she says, do you have any acting experience? And you know when somebody's like, uh, you know, smiling over the phone, you can't see them, but you can hear the smile in their voice. Said, do you have any acting experience? I said, yeah. And at that point, I had about 20 years of film and theater and can TV. You, can you breathe heavy? That was the next question. That was exactly it. She goes, can you breathe for me? And I leaned into the phone. I put all the pieces together. Okay, let's see. Uh, how tall are you? Do you have any acting experience? It's a Lucas company. Can you breathe for me? And I went <laughs> into the phone. 
I go, what's going on? And they wanted somebody to play Vader for a charity event, just uh, for, uh, for Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. So I tried on the costume. It fit. We did that one event. I thought, wow, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. That's never going to happen again. I just thank God I had a chance to do it. But then they called me back for something else, and they called me back for something else, and they put me in the movies and in the games and the TV shows, and I eventually played Vader 70 times over 12 years. So that's how I got in. <laughs> wow. Nick. That's cool. That's great. Yeah. That's, uh, for me, let's see. I wanted to be I wanted to be behind the scenes. I wanted to direct. That was my big thing that I wanted to do someday in my life. Went to Los Angeles right out of high school in 78. Um, ended up honestly ended up meeting some nice people that worked for what was called the Egg Company down in Los Angeles, which was Lucasfilm, right across from Universal Studios. Uh, they were going to help me get in to be a gopher, basically, production assistant gopher down there, right as it was starting to happen, right as I was about to get the job. Uh, the, an announcement comes through that they're moving everybody from the egg company up to Marin County. I'm like, well, there went my chance. And I said, you know what, I'll do what, whatever you got up there. I'll do what, anything, because I want to be with the company. And, and they said, well, huh, we're looking for, right now we're building Skywalker Ranch and the Kerner Company. We're looking for carpenters and laborers. And I said, well, I can labor. I could, I'll, I'll do that. And if when something opens up in production, you bring me over as, as a production assistant. And, uh, and they said, you would do that? And I said, yeah, I will. So they said, okay. Talk to Charlie Kuhn. I, you probably guys. It's so good to be here with these guys, too. <laughs> it's been so long, man. Frank and I barely... I mean, it's in 84. Yeah, we've got 1984, now. you know, and so now we've got so much. But um, so I went and Charlie Kuhn said, you're hired. You can be a laborer. I'll put you in the laborers union. I started laboring. I, I worked out uh, building uh, Ben Burt's studio. It got around that as when I was a kid, I played doing voices. I, I grew up on Mel Blanc and Paul Fries and, oh, yeah. and those guys and loved. I was a big fan of Paul Fries. And um, I would joke, you know, when you're on the job and making time go by and just joking, something would pop out. And people would be like, that was a good impersonation of whoever. You should let Ben Burt know. He's the sound guy at Lucasfilm. Many of you may know. I mean, he's more than the sound. He's the sound guy at Lucasfilm. <laughs> he's the guy. <laughs> he is the guy. And so I let him know. And um, he said, sure, I'll, I'll uh, have you in for an audition sometime. And so I'm laboring, building what became his sound studio. My first audition, he calls me in and says, uh, okay, they didn't have anything written down, and everything was so secret. And he, and he called me into his little studio in San Anselmo? Was it yeah. Little, yeah. And, um, and he says, say, uh, just say the name Elliot. And this is a creature. Oh. And he says, this is a creature. Now, this is the first part I didn't get. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that's how our business is. Yeah. But, but so I said, Elliot. I'm trying to do kind of creature kind of sounds. And say phone home, say be good, and do it in all these different voices. And actually then... Those are so good then, clues. Those are, yeah, but I didn't know, but it was so it now. turned out. So I, go to, I still don't know when I go to the screening of E.T. with yeah. everybody, and I'm sitting there, and honestly, when E.T. came on and said, I think the first thing he says is Elliot. Yeah, and, yeah, and I couldn't remember. I told my friend, he had me saying some kid's name, and I can't remember the kid's oh name. Gosh. But when And then I'm with my friend, right? And when E.T. says, Elliot. I looked at her, I went, that was the kid's name. They, 
Oh my God! I would have been this creature. That was when I figured who out who they, I almost got. Who did they get for that? It was a woman, Deborah right? Winger, like an and, and a very elderly lady yeah. who I'm told Ben Burt heard her asking for a pair of luck, or a pack of Lucky Strikes. Oh yeah, in a in a and you know and was like she had that kind of you know she was an old smoking yeah, like, she had that yeah give me some Lucky Strikes get out of the way I need to buy the pack of yeah <laughs> right and Ben was like you're gonna be yeah so she and Deborah oh Winger was mixed in oh yeah. So that have so then, but Ben, you know, after the screening, it was good. You know, I'll be calling you again. Well, then I got a call. And now I'm still a now now I'm a, I've, we finished Kerner Company. Go back I'm to out Maryland. at the ranch. <laughs> I'm back. Yeah, yeah. And now, but I've been made an apprentice carpenter now, making a little more and doing. And I'm waiting for something to open in production. Ben says, "Why don't you come over and try out?" So he hands me a script. This is crazy. He hands me a script for Admiral who was Admiral Akbar. Okay. Oh. Okay. So I'm. I got so nervous because now he's not just telling me things. I'm have. I'm looking at the script and he de- describes <laughs> this character. And I'm in the studio that I labored, that I built. And when I first got in there, I said, "Ben, the studio turned out beautiful." And he's like, "Oh, that's right. You were the laborer on that. Yeah. <laughs> Give me the job." So yeah, yeah. So he hands me the uh, Darth or uh, Darth Vader. There's Darth Vader, uh, Admiral Akbar. And I started shaking so bad, that, I mean so badly, that I literally couldn't, there was nothing to put the script on. And I'm like this, trying to make my head. And, I'm, and I went, oh, my God. And, and Ben says, what's wrong? I said, I'm so nervous, I can't even read the script. I'm shaking so bad. And he's like, just relax. It's no big deal. Take your time. And I said, okay, well, can I just shake this out? Just kind of get these nerves out. Mm. He's go, yeah, do whatever. So I walked away from the mic. And I walked over, and I took the script, and I started going, ah, 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 And I walked back over, and I had stopped shaking. And I went, okay, I'm ready. And he comes out from behind his podium, and he goes, uh-uh. And he takes the script, and as he's walking away with the script, I really thought I had offended Ben Burt. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just blew this whole audition. He turned around, he looks at me, he goes, you know what you just did over there, that laugh that you were just doing? I said, yeah. And he says, I got a creature that that's going to be perfect for. Forget Admiral Akbar. We're just going to do a bunch of that today. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, I was salacious crumb. And that's awesome. exactly how well, it happened. You, you know, both those are so iconic. One for the laugh, obviously. Yeah. The other one, you yeah. know, it's a trap, you know. It's a trap. Yes, yes. yes. Which, yeah, which ended up, yeah, the Admiral Akbar. <laughs> but, yeah, and, that, and that's how, it, that's how uh, then I started... You know, it rolled from there. There's That's a lot so that cool. happened in between where I met the monster maker, the creature makers that made Salacious, and then they went to work for Spielberg, and then they were doing Gremlins, and it was said on the set, hey, the, the Gremlins should have that same kind of laugh that that little character was, with Jabba had. And Boom. so then Chris calls me, and you've been asked to work on a Spielberg film. And it was one of those things for me, too. Honestly, I said, you are so full of... Why are you playing with me like this? <laughs> I really thought this is a prank. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. They've asked me to come work on a... Sp- no, really, Mark. You need to... And then it's just... And here I am today. That's so just, cool. Yeah. Just, oh, my gosh. That's like a, so there, that's how mine happened. Man. Yeah. Okay, so this question is for uh, Mr. Ordaz and, and Mr. Nelson. Uh, so you guys both... Uh, one is Matt Painter, one is a visual effects artist, doing backgrounds and things like that. Did any one of you guys... Or both of you 
put any kind of like Easter eggs within a, a, a particular scenery or a scene or something like that? Well, I got a couple of interesting stories. I, uh, I was given the assignment in Jedi to do the Death Star. And originally the Death Star was supposed to be half of a plexiglass dome. And as I started painting it, it you know, I was talking to Joe Johnson, who was essentially the creator of, of the look of Star Wars, along with Ralph McQuarrie. And so my thought was, well, I don't know if it should be painted. It probably should be half painting, half model, which was eventually the decision. So I got transferred, which was a great experience. In, in, and this is, this is old school ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, which was George's effects company. He made enough money on the first Star Wars to have his own company, okay, and hire his own team of artists and pay them full time. So uh, I, I got transferred into the model-making department to, to finish up working on the Death Star, working, creating all the skins for that model. And I'm, I'm gritting it out, and I, just, and I paint on there, Hi, Mom, and and one of the small little grids, Frank Ordaz. Okay, and I'm and I'm working with another model maker, and and part of the grid that I'm using was from from was from of the uh, brass uh, scales for um, Blade Runner, part of the Terrell building we, we use. Oh, yeah. uh, part of the Terrell building is actually part of the Star Wars model. Okay, which is kind of kind of a fun thing. Anyway. Uh, George comes in, you know, he, wear, he, he, he wears, he, he dresses like some guy right out of Modesto, okay? He was wearing, he was wearing flannel. You know, flannel. and so he's looking, he's looking at the model, and then he goes, uh, okay, I, I like it, Frank, uh, but take out Hi Mom and your name. And I was like, <laughs> I, I was like amazed that he even saw that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then people, people have asked me, you know, if you've looked at a book called The Making uh, the original, The Art of Return of the Jedi, in one of my paintings, there's like six opening paintings to the start of the movie which, uh, where Darth Vader's ship enters into the docking bay of the Death Star. Those are six paintings. And so one of my paintings is in the book. And on the side of the painting, you'll see Krumskoy. Or not Krumskoy, uh, uh, Korsky Rimsikov. And so somebody said, well, why is that there? Some, is that some kind of Russian thing? And I go, well, <laughs> I like the soundtrack. So I was listening to that while I was making it because I could kind of visualize, you know, the entry. And music played a big part in the math department. People mm-hmm. used to love coming up there because we, we bought a turntable and there were just three of us painting on that movie. And we just had this wild jazz going or whatever suited our fancy. And it was just the funnest time. And anytime we got anything slightly devious there, George just had this amazing eye, eye to catch it. Or there's always somebody looking for things like that. Well, we, we carried on your tradition of trying to sneak things into shots. Um, uh, I, did, I, had a, I was working on Phantom Menace, and I was doing uh, matte paintings for the ground battle all the, between the Gungans and, and, the, and the battle droids. So doing a lot of paintings of, of, uh, of these rolling green hills. And George was very adamant that he wanted the planet of Naboo to have puffy white clouds at all times. And we had a, a huge uh, catalog of, of, of photos that we could pull from, a library of photos we could pull from to, to get our, our clouds. We thought, okay, we're in great shape. 
we burned through that so fast because of all these shots. And it got to the point where it looked like we were using the same clouds over and over again, you know, like, like, like you know, four hours into the battle, the clouds haven't moved. Like, I guess there's no wind on Naboo. <laughs> um, so uh, fortunately, my, 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 uh, my wife is a wonderful photographer, and she one day was driving along. It had rained the night before. And, and she was driving along, and she, while driving, leaned out of the car window, saw these perfect clouds, leaned out of the car window, holding on the steering wheel with one hand, snapped these amazing photos. Lucasfilm paid her for them, and that's how we finished the ground battle. But one photo that we had of these clouds, I swear, the, the, the cloud, I looked at it and go, that reminds me of something. That looks like my grandmother without her dentures. <laughs> so I put it into the shot. And then I touched it up a little bit so it looked even more like her. And I thought, okay, nobody's going to notice this. It's going to be right in there and everything. And I showed it to my supervisor. He didn't notice it. And it, it got past Dennis Murin. Dennis Murin didn't notice it. I think, oh, that's great. I get word from the next morning. Somebody comes over and says, George says, take that out. <laughs> oh, he could wow. spot things. It was he has amazing. an amazing you, eye. You could, you could say anything you want about. Well, I don't like the, the you know this storyline or that dialogue or whatever. When it comes to the visuals, George is sharp as a tack. Always has wow. been. And uh, um, one of the map painters, uh, Jet Green, uh, who was in the, uh, the map formerly Caroline Green. Yeah, Caroline Green. Yes. Uh, now goes by the name Jet. She snuck George's face into the archways in the palace in the booth. No way. Yes. He, he caught it like that. He looks at her and he goes, ah, naughty, naughty. Yeah. Eh, leave it in. So he left it in. He she left, left it, it in, yeah. Oh. So, yeah, we, so we always snuck stuff in. So it sounds like, it sounds like George might have, like, had probably his, his other life, he probably should have been working for Disney. <laughs> and uh, not allowing those guys to get away with stuff. <laughs> but, but you know, no comment. Yeah, but you, you, you know what's really interesting um, in the old ILM. I don't know what it's like in new ILM. We would see these shots, you know, repeating over right. and over and over, where mm-hmm. you just got tired of it. But we're always looking at the shot to make it better. Mm-hmm. So I guarantee you, George would look at something over and over. Yeah. He'd look here, look there, look here, look there, and he's. You know, it takes a certain type of personality to just go, how can I make this better and better and better? And eventually you just start seeing things, yeah. you know? Sometimes even seeing things you shouldn't be seeing. But that's, that's the mindset is how great can we make this shot? And right. Anything that shouldn't be there should be taken out. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and you have to have an ego so that if somebody says this is not working, you, you have to believe that they, that they want that shot to be the best. So you can't let your ego get in the way. So because it's a team effort to make the best possible shot for the best movie. And I don't know how it was with you, but but when I was sitting in dailies with George on the prequels, um, it was not one of those things where it's like it's my way or the highway. He would listen to a lot of the artists too. It was definitely he would he would pull into the best people he could find to work for him and then listen to them. Right. Of course, it was always at the end of the day he had the you know the final call. You know, which right. was and more bigger. And we're all given these little <laughs> these little red lasers, right? The yes. little red lasers. So everybody's kind of okay, showing you where they don't like it, and the lasers are moving around. Okay, this area's not good. And so you literally every painting is just picked apart till so you're yeah, almost so tired of it. We've seen that. Um, we've seen the you know the behind the scenes on a lot of those DVDs where he's just yeah. sitting there, just and he's like the sound of him. He's actually like spray painting. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And I'd be like. 
That's yeah. my art. Yeah. And we used to have code like CBB. Does anybody yes. know what CBB I is? Yep. CBB was could, could be better. Be better. <laughs> you know? So your shots was either CBB or final. Yeah. So you're going for the F. Right. One of the, one of the few times you're yeah. going for the F. Yeah. But it's used every, they go over the shot and go CBB, CBB, could be better. And it was worse on the prequels because yeah. we were doing things digitally. By the time we got to Attack of the Clones, we were shooting digitally. We were uh, finaling everything digitally. It was going to a, a digital intermediate. And so that gave George even more time to play with shots up until, you know, they'd say, okay, now we've got to pry it out of your hands. It has to be in theaters next week. You know, so... Yeah. <laughs> Mark, uh, with with your with your experience with Star Wars, it was you know recording in the studio after pretty much the the scene was shot. Right. Um, right. Did you ever get the infamous direction from George about being faster and more intense? <laughs> no, I really didn't. I you know I did. Uh, I, George wasn't there. It was always it, it was Ben Burt. Yeah. And yeah, Ben Ben was directing and and uh, salacious. Was done wild. What they call we didn't do it to picture. I didn't see anything. Oh, okay. He just heard something when I did that and went. Literally, it was just a few weeks before the film, before they were done, and one of the last things that he was going to put in, you know, and and that happened. Um, and I think I did about twenty. I would say it was about a twenty-minute session wild. But what was fun was Ben. Uh, he gave me. He made up. Scenes. He started. Well, okay. You're this little creature. He said, "You're part bird, part rat, part monkey," <laughs> and and he said, "You're little." Yeah, that was his description. And he said, uh, "Now you're you're out in the desert and you're sneaking up on a." This is how it started. How he started. You're sneaking up on a on a giant's castle. Just give me some sounds like you're sneaking up in that voice that you just did. And I just started going. Okay, uh, ah, ah, mm, ah. you know, and he's like, okay, great, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, uh, and then he, he went on and on, and the, the, the fun part when I then saw the film was he, he took me through a lot of situations to get sounds, and he says, okay, um, you, I stole. He did a thing where I stole the cheese. You, you, there's a big block of cheese. Oh, the giant is sleeping. You, there's a big block of cheese. Go steal his cheese. So I went over and, <laughs> you know, I snuck over, stole the cheese. He goes, now the giant just woke up and he's chasing you. So I'm, ah! and you know, and I'm like, I'm running. He says, he just, the giant just caught you. He's holding you, and he just took the cheese. Ben's great. It's like, where did he come up with a Because there's nothing in the movie. like. But he got the sounds he wanted, right? Because he says, he just took the cheese from you, and you're mad. Tell that giant you want that cheese back. And I went, Well, when I went and when we saw the movie, the scene where uh, R2-D2 zaps salacious in the butt after yeah. he's taken C-3PO's <laughs> yeah. eye and he's hanging from the rafter and he looks down and yells at me <laughs> what I, and when people say what is he saying there I said what I'm really saying is give me back my damn cheese because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was thinking when I was saying it so yeah maybe maybe we should just tell for a couple people here who don't, who don't know who Ben Burt is yeah. Ben Burt has four Oscars for set, for the sound effects for Star Wars. He came he came up with the with the aqua lung. You know you could yeah, do the, the aqua Darth lung. Vader. 
Yeah. He, Everything he did was was uh, he didn't use electronics. He did, it wasn't right. synthesized. Everything was an organic sound. Like R uh, two's voice, a lot of his yeah. sounds were just scraping dry ice against metal and getting and right. recording that. Quiet. And it's like. How do you come up with this stuff? Yeah. Ben's a genius. Created R two D two, created the lightsaber noise. Yeah, uh, the blast. He was everything. He was the voice for for the Pixar movie Wall-E. Wall-E. Yes. Oh. So uh-huh. he's a, he's a genius. And I'll give you a little inside skinny. In, in Auburn, at the end of the year, I'm going to have a presentation with Ben Burt, the life of Ben Burt in Auburn, California. If that is an event you don't want to miss, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I really don't yeah. want to miss it. Yeah, Ben Burt. I owe everything to Ben Burr. So I mean, without a Ben has tentatively doubt, agreed you know? to do it. So okay. I'm seeing him next week, so I'm going to hold him to it. Yeah. Well, you have, he has to do it now because everybody knows about yeah, it. So yeah, so now you've announced it. So that's, so that's interesting because uh, Andrew and, and, and Frank, you guys, when you're watching your film, you're like, okay, I was working on that forever in front of the computer or you know, mm-hmm. painting that forever. When you're watching Return of the Jedi, you're thinking, where am I in this giant's home? <laughs> right, 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 right. Where's and, that cheese? And yeah, and the voice guys, I mean, then once I, st- you know, now that I do all the time, I mean, and we were talking about this out here. I always feel like, like Salacious Crumb, you know, I always want, you know, Tim Rose is the puppeteer. Tim Rose is a great puppeteer for Jim Henson and, and, and Dark Crystal, and he did so much stuff. And so many people go into these these creatures you know you've got the tony mcveigh sculpted him and chris wayless who went on to do the fly and all so many great things there's so many people involved and then us voice we come in and we do our thing for like an hour or so now when i did gremlins that was a whole week of doing two picture but yeah these guys yeah but you give it life these guys come on, you oh give come it on life. well okay you give but, it the life. thank you thank you but yeah. the thing is but these guys you know they work with George, and the, you know they're they're on the set, and they they live with each other for six months at a time. They're living this thing for years over at ILM. You guys are, were working on that, but but yeah, I mean, um, not to you know, I love what I do. Yeah. I will say though, I, I I there's times when I'm like, I wish. In fact, they're talking about a new Gremlins. If this new Gremlins happens, which I really think it's going to, I'm going to, if I'm, if I'm doing the voices, I am going to let them know, could I please be on a set for like a week this time? Because, <laughs> you know, I get to go in and do it to picture for, sure. but I want to be on the set. Yeah. Just like all you fans, I'm a fan too, you <laughs> There's know. There's a lot of waiting and, in between. And, and it <laughs> is. It's a lot of sitting and waiting, you know, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, so right now, yeah. I I, we're going to be a little selfish right now. Sorry, folks. We're going to be a little selfish because. We like everybody that we we interview. We always internet stalk them, right? So we, Frank, we went to your your page. We went to Andrew's page. We went to uh, your page, Mark. What I found interesting is that you do voiceover work, and I I've seen your promos before. I've actually heard them. Obviously, I didn't know they were you. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw your Winter Olympics one. Oh yeah, the the Olympics. Yeah, uh, but I, I mean, a salacious I, crumb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they came to Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, I know. They came so, to Vancouver. Right. So yeah. Um, our selfish thing that we want to do right now is is, is uh, we would we would like to know if you would read something that we wrote for a promo for our podcast mm-hmm. in the promo voice that you did. Oh, in the promo voice. Promo. Yeah, in the promo. Not not salacious crumb. No, okay, yeah, because that would be kind <laughs> of. Because then we'd have to translate that. <laughs> yeah. If you do it, they'll give you the cheese back. Did I get my cheese? <laughs> yeah. Yum yum. Wow, I'm going to do this cold. Do you yeah. do you want me to do this cold? Yeah, you, do it. 
Mm. And you want it in the Olympics? Yeah, I want the Olympics voice. <laughs> Let's see. Lady Kingdom. Let's see. Um, <laughs> I've never read this. So, podcasts. We've all heard about them, but we've really... <laughs> But we have really listened to one, like really, really listened to one. A podcast so brilliantly nerdy and funny, your friends will say, Hey, Jim, you've been brilliantly nerdy, it just went dark. And funny, all of a sudden, what's your secret? And you'll say, it's this brilliant, nerdy, and funny podcast called Chew on This. A Nerds United podcast. Check it out. And now you too, every Monday, download... No, now you too. Uh, take two. Or five. And now you can too. Every Monday, download, stream a new episode of Chew on This. A Nerds United podcast. iTunes. Google. Play. Oh. Google Play. <laughs> or YouTube. <laughs> now that was that was a cold read. I'm sorry. I could do it back. You, yeah, we'll, we'll do it again. I just I yeah, was just okay. picturing that's the better NBC. than most of my cold reads. <laughs> I was just picturing like the NBC logo popping up at the yeah. end <laughs> on Universal Sports. Okay. <laughs> well, we wanted to. Um, so we've asked you. I mean, you guys have been so gracious. Uh, do you guys out there have any questions for our guests? Don't be shy. Don't, Don't be, be shy. shy. Yeah. We're not. Um, is that anymore? Like, <laughs> Can we work on that? Or you could, I mean, you could just stand up. Yeah, you come right up here. Yeah, come on up. Come to the dark side. Welcome. Use the mic, Luke. Use the mic. Who played as Captain Rex? Grievous. What? Who played as Captain Clone Captain Rex? Who? Who did the voice? Captain Rex? Who did the voice of Captain Rex? You know? I would have to Google that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Google it. I'm not sure who. And I don't know either. Yes. I don't know. I know a Captain Rex from the old Star Tours, and that was Paul Rubens. That was you know Pee Wee Herman. Really? Yeah. Wow. He was the. He was the uh, I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> the brakes. The brakes. Where are the brakes? Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the uh, captain. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I wish they got rid of that. Now it's uh, Anthony Daniels. Is it? Yeah. Oh my! Yeah. Well, yeah. well, when you say Star Tours, it made me think of uh, uh, Frank. You've done work on uh, Captain EO. Uh, I was there uh, with Captain EO. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but okay. no, you didn't do. But right. I looked at them while they worked on it. <laughs> <laughs> he was supervising. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> same, same sound stages as you do. I mean, everything else. Yeah, we, you know, when ILM felt like one big family, it's when we were working on Star Wars. Mm. But to make income, you know, I, I've worked on three Star Treks. But then somebody else was working on, let's say, uh, discover, uh, going back to the future or Goonies. Uh, so there were all these different movies coming in and out. So you, mm-hmm. you never kind of knew. We, we kind of lost camaraderie, in my personal opinion, kind of after, after Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Just because the company had to make money. Which yeah. is the bottom line, right? right. Mm-hmm. In fact, during during Jedi, you know, one of, one of the principal, you know, uh, bean counters sat everybody down in dailies and said, you know, we are spending a lot of money on this movie. If we don't make uh, uh, the third top grossing, at least the third, the third, third <laughs> top grossing movie of all time, 
we're in big trouble. No pressure. And this is with Jedi? No pressure. This was during Jedi. Yeah, they put that a, movie didn't cost that much. I know, they, but they put a lot of pressure on us. Yeah. Wow. But it also had a, it had yeah. more effects in it though than, than okay. the previous yeah. films. It had a boatload. Of I guess yeah. maybe yeah. for that time, maybe it yeah. was uh, expensive. But now that that amount of money nowadays, no, yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's no. two hundred million dollars on Star Wars movies and, now, and yeah. they're right for that. I remember when when um, my agent was negotiating Gremlins. They said this is. Not a big budget film. It was a ten million dollar budget yeah. for a Spielberg film. Yeah, yeah. Gremlins. So, mm-hmm. what was the budget on Jedi? I don't 30, even wasn't like thirty million. It was like thirty I think. something. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like yeah, thirty was million. Like, well, that and was, now that, yeah. was, that was early eighties. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't imagine making a Star. Can you imagine like them making a Star Wars movie? Now? That'd be an independent film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah that's that, what that would, that's that would what be I'm a saying. Kickstarter project. Right, that, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, this is a, a question for all of you guys, and um, but pretty much, I mean, how how has Star Wars? Well, I mean, this is kind of a silly question, but how has it affected your lives positively, or there's is there also negative effects to it as well? Damn. Well, I see I myself wherever I go. <laughs> there you are. Yeah. This is the real Darth Vader right here. Right here. Yeah. That's, That's not how you true. do it. Yeah. <laughs> well. Uh, Truthfully, you know, I worked on uh, Jedi 30 years ago, and I moved on with my life. I wanted, you know, I I frankly kind of staged my life in three episodes. I always wanted to work on Star Wars, dream come true. I always wanted to illustrate books, you know, dream come true. I always wanted to have my own gallery, my own art, and, and live as a fine artist and travel the country and paint, and that's what I do now. So I never had any Star Wars memorabilia or any semblance of Star Wars in my gallery, and people kept coming in and going, where's your Star Wars stuff, Frank? And I go, I don't... Where's the Death Star? And I go, that's 1982, 83? That was a long time ago. Who cares? You go, people care. Haven't you heard of something called Star Wars Celebration? No. Haven't you heard of Comic-Con? Well, kind of. You know, George sold the company, blah, 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 blah. And it's like... I've been kind of pulled back into it. I finally gave. I finally gave into it, you know. And Have you been so, doing Star Wars paintings lately? You've been well. That's just. I've got a little. Well, so I mean, well, my gallery goes. Frank, you do great work. He goes, but if you painted Star Wars stuff, he goes, you'd be a millionaire. Oh, you know? uh, go over to his table. <laughs> Seriously, look at the painting he has. Oh, the George. George but, Lucas. It but is that, excellent. But what? The, what does that tell you? It, it, it's like we did something that has an. A, a cultural presence. Mm. Yeah. You can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like, it's a trap, you know, <laughs> or I'm not your father. Right. It's part of the, people know that more than they know scripture verses from the Bible, sad, <laughs> sadly to say. But it's, it's part of the culture now. When, when I first saw that ship move across, go over me in, in the first oh, Star yeah. Wars, mm-hmm. I don't know what your reaction was, but when I saw that, I was like, wow. It just... Mm-hmm. I want to work on that movie. Yeah. <laughs> and then I saw Empire, and I really wanted to work on that movie. So when they called me up, it was a dream come true. But I never saw myself staying there forever. Yeah. I always saw myself working on Star Wars. So after, uh, after we worked on Star Wars, it became clear that George wasn't going to do another one for a long time. So I kind of lost interest in the whole... I didn't, never saw myself as being a matte painter on movies I didn't care about. Because I'm a very, you can't tell, but I'm a very passionate person. So, if, if, so, if I'm, so my last movie that I worked on was Ho- Howard the Duck, you know, that great movie that everybody's seen. And, and when I read the script... Were you really? 
When I read the script, I went, this movie is going to bomb so bad, you know? And I go, why are we making this movie, you know? And I was, I was the Matt supervisor on that movie. And it just felt like we were building. It was like, it, it's like being hired to play on the, on the, on the floor of the Titanic, okay? Keep playing. The ship's going down, but keep playing. It was a horrible, it was a, and I'm, I, and I'm, a lot of ILM or people don't, like, don't want to say this, but it was a horrible, horrible time to work at ILM because it, we, we, were, we were past getting Academy Awards. It's like every movie that we worked on, we got an Oscar. Yeah. You know what that's like in your psyche? We worked on E.T., Oscar. We worked on Star Wars, Oscar. Worked on Indiana Jones, Oscar. We worked on some other movie, Oscar. It was like our heads were like that. Yeah. Everything was Oscar. Howard and the then duck. we did You're Howard the Duck. <laughs> Bomb! In fact, for some of you to remember, there was MTV was going to have this whole week on Howard the Duck, and when it bombed, they pulled it. Yeah, they they pulled it within a day. Yeah. And, and you'll never see Howard the Duck come come up on any George Lucas, uh, you know, bio or resume. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He tries to distance himself, but I saw George on set for that film. So. Really? Yes. Howard the Duck makes an appearance in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, yeah. 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 Right. So, so what about you, uh, Andrew or, or Mark? Um, you want to go next? Uh, what was the question? <laughs> I, that was so great. No, have that, you ever been a member? I mean, that was so, yeah. yeah. Uh, he made me think of something. Frank made me think. Oh, yeah. How's it changed? Positive yeah. or negative. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so let's, yeah, the positive was being a part of it when I was a part of it. But then when, um, you know, then I was, all, almost everybody was let go right after Jedi. And George needed a break, and uh, plans changed, and we thought we were going to be there for a while, and so we left. So then uh, that Christmas was hard because uh, I remember going Christmas shopping, and and everywhere you went was Star Wars things, and so this is the when it was bad. I was like, it's over. I'm not a part of this. This is sad, you know. At that time, it got kind of sad at Christmas that wow, we're not there. But but so then going on to do. It's had both effects on me, of course. So then I I start doing just voiceovers for other things, and I'm working on other things, and you're in these projects. And then I would compare it to a really young person winning the gold medal in the Olympics, and then it's like, now what are you going to, you know, years later, how are you ever going to have that kind of experience? And so I kind of started feeling that after a few years of, working on projects, doing voiceovers for things that didn't get the acclaim, that weren't, you know, I, I did Gremlins pretty quick after, before, and, and that went really well. So I had Star, a Star Wars movie with this little creature that people remembered, and I had these Gremlins and all these people. So being a part of Lucasfilm and then to go and not have that for a while and, and be doing voiceovers and not getting the adulation and it becoming a part of everybody's psyche and and um it took me a few it took me a few years to and to to finally what happened was people started saying haven't you heard of doing comic cons and i and i literally would say i don't want to do that yeah. you know that's i'm i'm a voice actor and i that's what i do and oh people would you'd like and i'm like nobody wants to meet me i'm being <laughs> totally honest and i'm like i'm a voice guy 
And they go, no, you'd be surprised, people. Finally, a friend tricked, almost tricked me into it, to one in Illinois. Yep. And, and he That's was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was where we met. He tricked me because he kept saying, he's a creature maker, and he kept saying, uh, you're going to do this show. I, no, I'm not going to do that show. He finally calls me, okay, you're doing this show. I said, no, I told you I'm not. He said, well, you are because I've booked you on it. <laughs> and he's a friend. And, and I couldn't, and I'm like, it sounds like an intervention. Don't do this. <laughs> yeah. And I said, all right, I'll do it. And I went and did it, and I had such a great time. And the fan, I was like, wow, people really do want to meet the person that did these voices for these characters. Yeah, well, thanks. And um, so then, I, then it, felt really, it felt really good. And then I did what, what I finally made peace with it and said, you know what? Probably the biggest things I've ever done was the, the biggest thing I ever did was Return of the Jedi. That will probably be the biggest thing that I ever do. Other than the promo you just did for us? Other than the promo I did for you guys. Um, and I thought, but you know what? At least I've had that. At least I'm a voice guy who has had a character that, that's got that, you know, that I have that. Now, what was really neat, and then we come full circle was I went to, D, to Disney Celebration D23. I was backstage with George. George got all done getting a little makeup. He was going up to become a Disney legend. So this is where it came full circle. I've made peace with it. I started doing Comic-Cons, all that kind of stuff. Because of that, I get invited to D23 for George to become a Disney legend. He came down and just so happened to come walking right to me, and most people won't talk to George. And then when you're in a green room or anything, it's just like, don't talk to George. Yes. Well, he right, and yeah, he comes walking at me. Yeah, don't make eye contact. <laughs> yeah. Don't hug him. He came walking at me, and I thought, you know what, bull. I, and he, I said, George. And he looked up, he goes, yeah. And I said, um, you won't remember me. I don't expect you to remember me. But I'm the car, I was the laborer carpenter that did the voice for Salacious Crumb. And George looked at me, and I swear he went, Salacious, how have you been? <laughs> and I said, I've been great, George, and I've wanted, I've wanted, and my name's Mark, yeah, and I said, I've wanted all these years to thank you because you gave me a great career. Be, just because of that, it opened so many doors. Well, that's a great story. So that's been the really positive. So then what happens? Matt Wood walks in. George, Matt Wood is now, the yeah, yeah. The, he does the sound now for Star Wars. He's Ben Burt's protege. I mean, yeah. he, he works with Ben. He well, we knew each other from where Comic Cons. Yep. yep. And he comes in. I said, Matt, and George, and Matt he says, Mark, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here for this induction. I got invited. Oh, that's great. So here's what happens. I said, you know, you're right in the middle of working on Force Awakens. You know, the the first thing I ever did was salacious. He's like, I know. And I said, it would really be cool. For, for, it to, for me to be able to just get a little something in Force Awakens. It would be kind of my career coming full circle. Now here I am in my late 50s, and it was like, it really would, wouldn't it? And I said, yeah. And he said, you've got my number. I said, yeah. He said, why don't you ever call? And I said, I don't want to bother you. You guys are busy all the time. He's like, it really wouldn't be a bother if you called. He said, you wanted to? I said, yeah, what? He said, you go to, here's typical business. You, you up to date with the union? I'm like, yeah, I'm working all the time, Matt. We started laughing. He goes, okay, I'll be calling you. Sure enough, 
October of the year it opened, I got the call. Hey, I need you to come in. And I went in to do it, and I was in there with, um, you know, this is the good part of being a part of it all. Fifteen other actors, younger actors, and we were doing voices to picture. Now I'm doing voices to the picture, and we're doing some stormtroopers and creatures. And we got to the scene in Maz Kanata's castle where they walk in, and Cretinus is the creature's name, and he's playing a board game with his brother and wins and goes, ah! <laughs> Well... What, when we were doing the, when we were doing it, you've got 15 voice actors. We're all in there, and we, oh, I'll do him. You kind of grab, or or Matt Wood would say, hey, how about everybody try this line for that stormtrooper? Mm-hmm. How about everybody? Well, when that scene came on, we're all sitting there looking, and I see that creature, and it's silent. You're just seeing the picture, and he goes, and I thought, oh, I'd like to do his laugh, and sure enough, Matt looked over and he goes. Salacious, we need your laugh right here. <laughs> that felt so good, man. So it, it did. It gives me tears now. It really does because yeah. it was all of that coming full circle, you know. And then the neatest thing of all that was I got up, I did two takes, and I wanted to do more. And he's like, no, man, that was perfect. And as I turned around to sit down, 15 really great voice actors stood up and gave me a standing ovation for doing that laugh. Wow. And I was just so overwhelmed. I was like, oh, my God, you know. So that's how the Star Wars has it's that's a great story. been everything. Yeah. I, I've, I've got a little bit of each of your stories in my story. It's like I was like you. I saw the original Star Wars film. I, I was just shy of my 15th birthday when the first Star Wars film came out. And... Um, I don't know how it happened, but I, I managed to, uh, even though I stood in line for hours and hours to get into the theater, uh, it was at the Coronet Theater in San Francisco, which is gone now, um, but I, somehow I managed to get what I believe was the very best seat in the theater, and it just, you know, my whole field of vision is filled with the screen there, and that opening shot, like you said, where that rebel blockade runner flies right over your head, followed by that massive Star Destroyer, I looked up at the screen and I thought to myself, I want to do that for a living. But the problem was, nobody had ever done that before in that way. So there was nowhere to go to learn how to do that. These guys were making that up as they went along. And so I just kind of, it just kick-started me. And I, was, I, was, I went everywhere. I drove my dad nuts because I had him drive me all over the Bay Area. Uh, every bookstore, every comic book shop, every magazine rack, every library, everything you can think of, trying to find some kind of information. Interviews with people like Dennis Muren or Richard Edlund or John Dykstra, these artists that, that, that had you know, supervised this, trying to piece together things. I would read all these articles, made no sense to me. But after a while, you, know, you immerse yourself in it and it starts, to, okay, I connect the pieces. And I, and I started experimenting, had my Super 8 film camera, back before video, uh, had my Super 8 film camera, and I would shoot stuff and a lot of it looked like crap and some of it looked good enough to keep me going, and I kept working at it. Um, so when I actually got a foot in the door at, at LucasArts, that was amazing to, to, to be able to be there and to go. And my, my first week, I got actually hired by Matt Wood's ex-wife, okay. <laughs> Chris yeah. Brown, who is also a, 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 a voice director for games and things now. Uh, but she was the head of the customer support department, and she had essentially grown up at the ranch because her dad was in, was in, in charge of, uh, of helping build the ranch. 
And uh, I probably worked with him. Yeah, you probably did. Yeah, you probably sure did work did. with him. I'm sure I did. Um, and so she knew the ranch really well. And, and my first week uh, working there, I was up at the ranch. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm here. You know, how amazing is this? Uh, and so I was just inspired to keep going and keep trying things and working my way up through the art department. And, and, but I, I, Star Wars literally changed my life, changed every aspect of my life that I can think of. Uh, uh, you know, I, my, I, my ridiculously, embarrassingly impressive resume is all owed to Star Wars. Um, because of you know working on the on the films, working on the games, I was able to teach at the Academy of Art, and and uh, my students end up working on on uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith. That's an incredible feeling to to be yeah. able to 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 know that the, your students continue on. And I've had yeah. my students hire yeah. me too, which is great. Oh. <laughs> and also, to do effects work, the circle is now complete. Yes, uh, uh, I've been able to travel the world. I've been able to do the conventions like with you. It's like I uh, his con- first convention was my first convention the year prior to that. Um, and I was one of those two that just kind of turned it down. Oh, who wants to see me? Who wants to hear him? I said, no, you've got all these years and years of stories nobody's heard and, and stuff. But to be able to play such an iconic character, one that was my favorite character to begin with. Um, my favorite. Yes. Darth Vader's my favorite. I, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, to travel the world, to, to have a career. I mean, I... I I have sat on the board of directors of the Visual Effects Society because of Star Wars. I have, you know, friends. I get to meet people like these guys and you guys and you guys because of Star Wars. You know, I Peter Mayhew is a friend of mine. Peter and his wife Angie. You know, Chewbacca is my friend. You know, when years ago I stood in line to get his autograph. You know, he laughs about that now. (laughs) Well, how did it look? Did I sign it right? Yeah. So, uh, but you know, so, and and I'm able to 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 pay it forward to teach people to help people who want to get into visual effects or acting or animation or voice work or whatever. I'm able to to you know to give back all this that I've been able to receive. That's the wonderful part of it. There is you know there is a dark side to it as well. Because, yeah, it's, the entertainment industry is a great business when you're working. When you're not working, it sucks. <laughs> That's one reason why I do both acting and post-production stuff, because I have a better chance of working more often throughout the year, because they're at opposite cycles of each other. But, yeah, you can be, and like you said, you can be known for one thing. I mean, I'm, I'm known, oh, hey, it's the Vader guy, you know? Right, but, right, you know, it's like, well, right. I've got this all other career, but... Who cares? What, what, that don't, yeah. I don't, I'll be the Vader guy to the day I die. I don't care. If it, <laughs> if it means that, that I can spread all of this information, all of this uh, experience, and all of this joy, whatever. Because, you know, if you come over and you see us at our tables there, we got our little, you know, uh, our 8x10 photos and things like that there. Keep in mind that I spent a lot of years on the other side of the table before I was ever asked to sit down on the side where the Sharpies are. Right. <laughs> so. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. Is there, uh, are there any uh, uh, questions? Yes, there's questions. We have answers. We can see if they match. Well. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> no, I just want to thank you guys again for coming out here. It's just an honor to be in your presence. Uh, Thanks, Anthony. My question first for Mark, if it's okay, I can have two. Yeah. So, Mark, uh, being a father and playing a voice character, 
My kids are here today, and they usually aren't. Um, yeah, I just was doing the Gremlins, and I just watched the Gremlins with um, the other night with my granddaughter for the first time. Oh, that's cool. And she's six years old. And we and she came out. We I went outside and smoked a cigarette. And I went out, and I, we're sitting there, and all of a sudden she comes out and goes, oh, I can't remember exactly how she said it, but she came out and said, um, watch what I just learned. Yum, yum. <laughs> and she did it so perfect. And I was like... Whoa, that was ha- that was like possessed. Like, well, wow, that was and that was really really neat. And when when my kids were little, real little, um, I'm a big fan of of Doctor. I love Doctor Seuss, and I loved reading at Christmas. And I don't know if they'd remember they were so little, but I would read um, How the Grinch Stole Christmas as Boris Karloff because okay. he, you know, okay. all the Who's down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch hated Christmas. The whole Christmas season. And I would read the whole thing as, um, you know, impersonate. Because Boris Karloff, of course, narrated the original How the Grins. So, yeah, and uh, they were really good to me, though. They really never bothered me too much about it. Now, my son's here, and I'll tell, I don't know if he remembers this, but I can remember him bringing friends over when he was very little and, and saying, ask him. Like his friend would be with him, and they're like five years old. And I'd be standing, and I kind of knew what he was, you know, and he'd go, and my son would say to his friend, ask him. And I'd be like, what do you want to know? And he'd say, and his friend would just stand there and he'd go, ask him. <laughs> so the kid would go, um, are, you really, are you really the voice of the gremlins? And I'd say, yeah, I am. And then my son would say, do it, Dad. And I'd, go, and then I'd do that. Yum, yum, yeah. You know, and then, and then, and the look was priceless because he'd look at my son. Their eyes would go that big and go, he is. And my son would go, I told you. You know, so, you know, those kind of things would happen. And, and yeah, that was fun. But, yeah. Thanks. That's a great question. I've never been asked that. At one. That was really, really nice. Thank you. Thanks. Um, it didn't take too long because I had actually studied uh, uh, combat and theater, studied with swords and things like that. So I did Shakespeare you know, for, for years, too. So, and uh, I had studied with uh, Michael Kowalty of the Academy of the Sword for a brief time, too. So it wasn't that bad. Actually, it's the, the hard part... One of the first things I had to do with a lightsaber was a Kenner toy commercial for a toy lightsaber. It was the very first commercial I did. And in order for the toy lightsaber to show up on screen, they actually had rigged it so that it had a halogen light inside it and a cord running down the child actor's uh, sleeve and down his costume there. Uh, but, of course, it heated it up. It was one of those telescoping ones uh, that they had. And it wasn't, it wasn't quite as strong as the ones I have now. Um, but uh, and of course the the real Vader lightsaber, what it is, you have the decorative handle, but then you have a tapered uh, uh, rod that's sort of it's made out of high impact plastic, kind of like what they make, I guess, like Jeep antennas out of there. So it has a little bit of give to it because you have to have something to follow in post production, so you can trace the outline, make a mat, and then and then apply the glow and, and the color to it. 
Um, so I had that. So mine was solid and his was hollow being heated up by this halogen lamp. And so when we first start fighting, I'm Vader and he's playing like Luke as a, as a kid in this commercial there. And as soon as we cross lightsabers, his just wraps right around mine. So it's like, okay, that's not going to work. So we had to, we had to fight without ever touching each other. And that's a hard thing to do. Anytime you have to pull a, pu- a punch or pull a, a, you know, a, a strike or anything, it's really hard to make it look like things are making contact when they're not. So uh, and then, then in between every take, it was like, okay, turn it off, turn it off, because the whole thing was going to melt on him there. So, But yeah, so it, I had a little bit of experience, so it did help there. As, uh, that was very, very helpful. So. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yes. Any other questions? Just talk uh, yeah, us the mic. I started off as an art technician. Yes. Yes. I just want to hear about a uh, story about the uh, uh, between departments uh, politics between like the programmers and the art technicians. We actually didn't have many many. We the the artists got along really well at LucasArts. We got along well with the with the programmers. We were because we had to work with them constantly, and so uh, and they were always trying to uh, to facilitate. You know the best art they could and get it into the games, and we were trying to you know find a way to make sure that the that the uh, the artwork could get in there. So I don't remember any politics in that sense. The politics would always be something external or way up executive, you know, somewhere. You know, the the rotating uh, executive people that would come and go. But uh, no, we didn't have any problems with that. I ask because I know the programmers are known for being stubborn. Programmers, some programmers can be stubborn. Ours weren't. We were actually pretty cool. We got along pretty well. Um, and uh, we just had a really fun environment. It was kind of like what you were talking about with uh, ILM in the, in the, in when mm-hmm. you first started there, how, how, you know, the, the pre-Howard the Duck days. Right. <laughs> uh, good old days. Uh, yeah, the good old days. <laughs> at, at LucasArts, it was, it was like we were just kind of one big family there, and we would... And we would Play a lot of we do a lot of silly things like the the uh, and you were asking about Easter eggs. We put a bunch of Easter eggs into the games, just tons of stuff into the games. There's even a, a, a I mean, you we'd be things hidden in levels. If you actually looked at a level of a game, the, what the map would look like, there'd be hidden objects and hidden shapes and things like that. And so the the programmers would come to us and say, "Hey, we're going to sneak something into a game," and we'd say, "Okay, we'll make it up for you." We'll, we'll, you, know, we'll, you can if you look at a game like Rogue Squadron, there is a way if you find the right code, you can fly a Cadillac. <laughs> so there's things like that. There's in, in I think I can't remember if it's in Dark Forces or if it's in Jedi Knight. There's a secret Imperial smoking lounge in there. So <laughs> things like this are in there somewhere. So, but no, we didn't we didn't have any uh, issues like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, Hi. I had a couple of you wrote there, but I didn't, you were stepped away from your table. Oh, okay. Sorry. Hi. Uh, my focus is 3D modeling, sculpting, and I also do 2D and 3D environment art. Mm-hmm. ILM would be a 3D job. And most big companies like that would be a 3D job, especially that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to focus my portfolio. And any suggestions on anything specific that I might try and get in there? To Absolutely. I do have very specific, because one of the things that I taught when I was at the Academy of Art was we taught a portfolio class, which was basically how to get a job. 
which hadn't been taught before for some reason. Uh, they would just, you know, a lot of schools would just take you, teach you how to make pretty pictures and they let you loose saying fly and be free and then you go out and you get hit by a, a bus called life. Uh, <laughs> you find out it's not that easy once you get out there. Here's what I would recommend. If you wanted to be a, uh, for any kind of modeling or anything like that, if you're, you're doing like character modeling or, um, or creatures. creatures and things like yeah, that, I do little yeah, bodies, do stuff that is out of the ordinary. Do stuff that looks commercial as well, but do things that are out of the ordinary. Um, I would see things where it's like people would do like the same celebrity faces over and over again, or they'd do the same style of thing or the same kind of car or something like that. It's fine to have that stuff in your portfolio, but have something wacky as well, something just that seems, whoa, because it shows your style and it shows that you can think outside the box as well. Also, when you... That's excellent, yeah. Okay. And when, and when you put together, if you put together like a demo reel or something, first of all, make sure that people can find your stuff easily. Have a website, have a YouTube channel, have your demo reel or, or images of your stuff on your cell phone. So when you meet somebody, you can just show it to them. Have business cards. Just be ready. You know, uh, people say to me all the time, oh, gosh, Andrew, you're so lucky to be able to do what you do. Luck does not enter into it. Luck is an acquired skill. You can learn to be lucky. Luck is nothing more than, than opportunity meeting preparedness. You know, so if people say that, you know, that good luck is being at the right place at the right time. I think it's being ready for any place to be the right place at any time. So you just get your stuff together, make it available so it's really easy to people, for people to see what you, what you do. And then submit it everywhere. So many people you know, reach for the, for the brass ring, they reach for the ILM, the, the Disney, the Pixar, whatever it may be, Weta Digital, whatever it is. Don't neglect the small companies too, the, uh, the small game companies or the uh, commercial houses or things like that. You'd be amazed at how quickly you can rise up through the ranks at a small place where they don't have as many resources and it's like, oh, you can do this, oh, but you can also do that, well, how about you try this as well? That's great. You get a chance to do so many different things, and you build up a resume pretty quickly that way. So, you know, don't, I mean, as you, you know, it's great to go for places like ILM and stuff like that. Also, keep in mind that a lot of the larger places, they will hire people on a project basis. So, don't look for, you know, hey, I got in and I'm here to stay. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, internships are great. They are the, I was just going to say, internships are the very best thing because what happens is it gets you inside that company, you get to learn their culture and the way that they do things, and then when they're ready to hire, they're going to call back you rather than somebody from outside. Nine times out of ten, I see this happen because they don't have to teach you how to do things their way. You already know it. And there are a lot of ways to get in. I mean, I got into LucasArts by, you know, by helping people who couldn't get a game to run <laughs> on their computer. It was a foot in the door. A buddy of mine who runs a company now called Factory Effects, another company called Roto Factory, um, he got into Industrial Light and Magic as a security guard. <laughs> this is brilliant, though, this plan. He got in as a security guard because as a, as a visual effects artist, I, there were certain parts of the company I couldn't go to. You know, especially if there was a, a project, very seldom did this happen, but sometimes it'd be a project that, you know, well, you know, we can't let everybody see what's going, going on here. Like, especially the art department where people are designing things right. there. But uh, he could go anywhere in the company. He was security. He could go anywhere. And then he could go up to people and say, hey, what are you working on? Hey, can you show me? And that's how he learned. And now he has his own company. 
So internships, any, uh, any foot in the door is the way to, is the way to go. Because what you're doing is you're building relationships. Yeah. yeah. We yeah, all was, got I our, was our start say, because we built network, relationships. Ne- networking. Yeah. I networking. Mean, it's, yeah. yeah. I've only ever gotten two jobs in my entire life because I answered an ad. Everything else is because I knew somebody. And even no matter what you get, even no matter how small you think it might be, mm-hmm. it's your opportunity to meet and build on what, what you're doing. You're doing something within the what you want to do, within that industry. So you're all, you know, you can network. Otherwise, if you're like, no, that's not good enough. I'm going to wait for the right. I wait, wait. Don't, don't. Take what you got. Take what, go in there. And like you said, a smaller company. Yeah, you want to end up at ILM. You may not start at, you know, start where and, and network and go to the functions. And, mm-hmm. and I'll say this, go to happy hour because you'd be surprised how many things happen sure. at our happy hour. Oh, yeah. Am I right? Hiccup, yeah. Yeah. I've got jobs just standing in line at a grocery store and overhearing a conversation and had my business card and was able to hand it to somebody. You know, and the thing is, yeah, I've got your card already. So, yeah. yeah. Go over there. Uh, and I will out. look at your website. But... Um, the thing is, you will knock on a lot of doors, and you're going to get a lot of people saying no, but eventually you're going to get a yes. It may not be the yes you expected. It may be a yes that leads to a yes that leads to the yes that you wanted, or you may get a yes that goes way beyond your wildest expectations. So you've got the line from Galaxy Quest, never give up, never surrender. <laughs> it's true. It's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Welcome. You're welcome. Anybody else have any uh, other questions for our guests? Hi, <coughs> Walt. There's one. Thank you. You have a question, yes? Okay. All right. Okay, no pressure. Last question. Last question. <laughs> Has to be really good. What's your favorite soda? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Um, yeah. let, let me answer this because I just yeah. I just heard this interesting story recently on YouTube. Um, George has become a lot more talkative now that he's no longer part of the Star Wars yes. world because I see him on YouTube all the time and on TV. Well, he told this story that um, he always wanted to be an illustrator. And those who have been at Skywalker know that he has an amazing collection of old-time illustri- illustrative work. Mm-hmm. He's got uh, Maxwell Parrish's, he's got Norman Rockwell's, yeah. Deckers. He has an amazing array of illustrations because he wanted to initially be an illustrator and he wanted to go to a school in L.A. called Art Center College of Design. Well, on the way to that dream, he produced a small movie and... Everybody loved this small little movie that he made, and he got a scholarship to USC, and the rest is history. So the part that's interesting is when they were looking for a a third matte painter to be part of the Star Wars team, George recommended Art Center College of Design because that was the school that... He wanted to go to, he wanted to go and to. that was the art school that if you wanted 
in Southern California, if you wanted a top artist, a top graduate, that's where you went. So I just put that together not too long ago because I heard him, that's the first time I ever heard George mention that he wanted to go to Art Center. So sometimes you go to certain schools, like uh, Vanity Fair just did a whole feature on, I think, Cal Arts. Brad Bird went there. Right. John Lasseter went there. Right. It was a hubbub of, of students who just loved animation. So if there's a certain field that you love, go to that school that's known for that mm-hmm. because you'll have relationships. You'll make relationships with those students. They'll remember you. If it's a positive relationship, they'll remember you. They'll recommend you. In fact, when I, when I was at uh, ILM... We needed a fourth uh, map painter, and uh, Jet Green was one of my friends. And so I said, "There's a great, there's a great artist at Art Center. Her name's Jet Green. You better hire her." And they did. And then when they were looking for another guy for uh, for the uh, uh, for another department, I recommended somebody else who eventually created uh, the artwork for Mist. I can't remember his name. But it's like these are people, when I was in a position of, quote, power, I was able to recommend people that I personally knew who I thought were also very good at what they did. So um, that would be part of my recommendation. In fact, in San Francisco, the Academy of Art gets a lot of people. I mean, I taught there. He taught there. And so... uh, same sort of thing happens. You, these people end up having a colony of friends and, and mutual interests. And if you're there and you stand out, they'll know about you. And, it, and, and it's, it's, that's a way to get yourself in the door. And, and look at the reputations of the different schools online. Uh, uh, one good website is ratemyprofessor.com. And you can go there. And it's like, it's like Yelp for, for schools and teachers. And you get to find out... What are the teachers like? Because you can go to the websites for these different schools and it all looks good, but you want to hear from the people who have actually studied there the to find out which schools, yeah. yeah, the students, to find out which schools have the best reputations, which teachers are teaching the best thing. And again, like I had said uh, before about uh, the, uh, you know, don't neglect the, the, the small businesses, don't neglect the small schools too. Just because, you know, it's like, well, that's US, UC, uh, USC or Sheridan or, or, know, or Full Sail or these big, you know, schools all across the, the country and across the world. Sometimes your community college may have an incredible program or an incredible teacher. Or there may be a school that is small, but it, it, it specializes in one particular, you know, discipline that you want to study. And that might be the best thing for you. And, of course, you also have to weigh in, you know, okay, well, do I have money for this? Do I have a scholarship for this? That kind of thing as well. But definitely look and find out what the reputation is for these schools with the people who have graduated from there. And are they working? Are they doing what they've studied? That sort of thing. So does that help? Yeah, and another side, you know, one of the top, in my opinion, Matt Painters in the world was uh, Michael Pingrazio, and he never went to college. And he got hired working at uh, an art store. He was talking to somebody who was in the movie industry. Mm-hmm. He showed him his work, and the guy goes, you know, would you like uh, to, uh, you could be a great matte painter. That's how he got his start. Mm-hmm. So y- you see people get in the door 
in so many different mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. And, and I think what you've, if you've heard, if you've been listening, it's like when the opportunity is there, you better be prepared, whether it's your art or it's your card, mm-hmm. it's being Johnny on the spot and responding. You know, mm-hmm. there's this great song from Pete, uh, the great lyric from Pink Floyd. You know, nobody told you when to run, you missed the starting gun. Well, that starting gun is right now. You right meet now. somebody, mm-hmm. you know, right now is the time to be prepared. Yeah, and you said something about, you know, being in the right place at the right time. I, I found out, especially in, in our industry and in any industry, being in the right place, you want to be in the right place at the right time, be every place all the time. Mm-hmm. Be, if this is your passion, you're always thinking it, you're always interacting with mm-hmm. other people, young people your own age, who have the same passion that these guys will tell you, yeah, that guy that I went to school with, we ended up, we all ended up in working on films and big films. And, and if it's your passion, you'll be there. And I don't think, I really don't think necessarily the school, if you have a, if you have a talent, they're going to hone, I'm sorry, they're going to hone a lot of things. I don't even know how to use a mic. They're going to they're gonna hone a lot of things and teach you the basics. And, and what is, what's the word for guys? You guys, you know, you're a teacher. They're going to teach you the basics. Yeah. and The okay, craft. So, the, craft. Yeah, the fundamentals. Yeah. Thank you. The yeah. fundamental fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And then it's what's in you and putting that into your art, you know, making it yours. As we say, make it yours. Like I'm a voice person, so I'm not yeah. as... But I look at Paul Free's things, and I try right. to, to take what he did, but then make it mine. Put me into that. How, how does it come from me? And, uh, you know, that, that's what it what is. What does he want to do specifically? Mm-hmm. Okay. First of all, I would say just do it. Mm-hmm. Do it and do it and do it and do it. Just keep drawing and drawing and drawing until your fingers fall off. Okay? And, cause, and then show it to everybody. I give the same advice there. Just show it to everybody. Make it available for people to see. Mm-hmm. And, and get a foot in the door. I mean, for, uh, I would also suggest that um, if you want to do any kind of illustration, study a life drawing. Because so it gives you a good sense of proportion. And, and this is coming from the guy who draws stick figures. <laughs> yeah, I used to get laughed at by my students. <laughs> I said I was not hired for my fine art skills. Um, but I think that that helps. And that doesn't necessarily mean uh, a formal study anywhere, because you can just go out and look at the world around you and just draw it. And it helps you with other types of drawing, like anime and everything. Because I see a lot of people who focus on, well, I want to do Marvel-style comic book drawings, or I want to do anime, or I want to do something like that. And they, without thinking about it, pigeonhole themselves into a particular style that may not even be their style. You find your style by doing all kinds of things and then applying it to what you really enjoy. Well, we're going to have to wrap it up here. Uh, Thank you for all the questions, and thank you guys so much for spending this time with us and and the extra time that you did. Um, We can't thank you enough for sharing your stories. Uh, We probably could go a lot longer with all the stories we have. Come on over and see us at our tables. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you.